We got to do a cold open. Cold open. We got to do a cold open. Cold open. My, my oh, I, I got it. I got it. Right, what do you got? Have you had sexual intercourse? No, I've never had it. My tell entire me, life. tell me. I need to know right now. <laughs> uh, have you had no, sexual intercourse? I mean, well, I mean, are you abiding by the rules of virginity that it resets like every lunar cycle? Is that like? Are we going by those rules? Are we doing like in every eight year sexual intercourse? Uh, I've heard, had many heard experiences that would probably fall under that category, but did not meet the level before you. Um. Yeah, it's all. <laughs> <quiet. laughs> I have never. This is uh. This is where we have the uh the blue chew sponsorship come in. Right? Yeah. <laughs> I do. <laughs> I do. There's a there's a lot of discourse uh in in the wild on the internet about um people who fuck in quotes, and I could say decidedly. Nobody in this fucking movie fucks. Nobody oh, nobody fucks. in this movie fucks. Do you think David Lynch fucks? No, no. No, David Lynch probably... All are fucking. Like, yeah, David Lynch... Does, like, I mean, you can watch any of his movies and be like, this man does not fuck. Or if he did fuck, it'd be an incredibly dangerous thing. <laughs> there's like one... There's like a, a small but not insignificant chance that when he comes, an atomic bomb goes off. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, Pendereski plays, and you just see the birth of the nuclear energy in America. <laughs> Listen to uh, oh, what like, is it? It's like sonnet for the the ghosts of Hiroshima or something like yeah, that. Yeah, some shit like that. That's what happens when David Lynch jizzes. It's just like it's just this high pitched screaming <laughs> shit. Nobody wants to fuck this guy. <laughs> the sad Nobody man. at all. Nobody. I... And that's what this movie's about. Is about David Lynch not his... getting not getting any in art no. school. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> What's up, party people? Uh, <laughs> you're listening to the Ghost Kino podcast, yeah. uh, podcast about socialism, cinema, and shit posting. Shit posting. Um, I'm one of your esteemed armchair revolutionary hosts, Connor Beckett, joined okay. as always by my other esteemed guests, Astro and Era, who I'll, I will allow I'll let them let them introduce you'll, themselves. You'll allow you'll let me out of my cage. You know, just keep me in a cage underneath <laughs> the sink every once a week. You wheel me out. <laughs> just give me the microphone. I'm just, just like uh, no, it's more of a like uh, Pulp Fiction gimp. Situation. Oh yeah, a gimp scenario. That's like, right. And, you know, <laughs> I'm like the microphone is just like shoved down my throat right now <laughs> through the hole in the gimp suit. No, I've like a I have a single lavalier uh, at mouth level, but you're suspended in <laughs> midair. That's right. I've got like fish hooks on my skin. It's like audition or whatever. Was oh. that audition or what was that? There is like a, a Korean horror movie where a dude is like hung by his like the skin of his back by like fish hooks and shit like that. It's I don't so think gnarly. That I don't think that happens in audition. Uh, it's not audi- audition. What, hap- the- what were you saying? It does happen in uh, the first. Um, what you call it? Uh, you know that scary movie, uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Oh yeah, no, no, no. That's like that's like a singular meat hook. I'm, I remember what movie it is. It was um, it was Ichi the Killer. I remember. Sam, I me, mean, Sam, and I watched that in quarantine. Really fucking fucked up, crazy movie. But what I'm talking about is like not like somebody getting mounted on a meat hook. I'm talking about like you got like like eighty individual like fishing hooks dug into this guy's oh, back, shit. and he's like being suspended like facing down the floor, and he's being interrogated. It's some Ichi the Killer is like. It's like a comic book movie. It's kind of like a comic book movie, but it's like a crime movie, but it's incredibly fucked up. But if you're into like fucked up Japanese Sounds like shit. acupuncture. Yeah. A- Astro, <laughs> yeah, right. Astro, I'll say what, just real quick. I asked you to introduce yourself, and that was actually a surprisingly like summarized introduction of who you are. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Fish hooks and Ichi the Killer. And I'm I'm Era. There you are. There you are. <laughs> here, here I am. Here, here I am. <laughs> and, uh, We're, this week is uh, brought to you by my choice eraser head. <laughs> my choice eraser head. Era the like, dish, the soup of the week. 
era, essentially. <laughs> in a, uh, is the term Mexican standoff not PC? No, Mexican standoff is totally. It's a. There's nothing. I there's, don't know. No, there's no other term for Mexican standoff. I was gonna say era. But I will say before. Okay, go on with what you're gonna say. Oh no, I was gonna say like uh, era essentially is, has Astro and I in a. Mexican standoff, but um, both of us are unarmed, so it's essentially one individual That's a good with, thing. with a gun. Do you have differing opinions about this movie? No, 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 I, no, 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 no. I, I mean, at least I don't think we do. I love this movie. I would, I would say that this this podcast falls within um, the parameters what we define as the dictatorship of the proletariat. But every week, someone else is pro- proletariat. That's what we're saying. We're, we're just all oh, the proletariat. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, we're just I all the proletariat. What, what I was going to say about Mexican standoffs, though, is everybody, it's one of those terms that annoys me that people misuse all the time. Like, you'll see movies where, like, one guy is, like, holding a gun and, like, 50 people are pointing guns at him and they're like, oh, it's a Mexican standoff. No. That's not a Mexican standoff. No, it's, it's when everyone's got a gun on a different a person. person. It's like yeah. a chain reaction thing. That's yes. a Mexican standoff. Mutually assured destruction, essentially. Exactly. That's, that's the yes. necessary point. People think, like, mistake, like, if you're cornered or something in, like, 50, it's like, that's not a Mexican standoff. No, it's not. Um, but, yes, Era, you chose this film. Uh, do you want to intro us? Uh, should oh, we talk yeah. about everyone's 420 before we get into into movies? Or I mean, I mean, I watched this on 420, <laughs> so that's, that's about as necessary as need to be but also like i feel like i'm the only one here that really celebrates it too heavily <laughs> yeah i took i took like one toke <laughs> you're like that's enough i'm like yeah, i'm that's like well enough. i smoked enough weed for one year <laughs> one year yeah <laughs> okay i'll be i'll be back to to take the second toke sam sam our friend sam and i rode around prospect park for like an hour trying to find my friend who is selling edibles in the park we finally found her it was awesome <laughs> And they were incredible. We were riding around that park forever. Just like a nice little 420 adventure right there. It was nice. It was a beautiful day out. We got to just soak up the sun and ride around. It was chill. It was a chill day. And then I got back to my friends and watched, watched this golden egg of a film. Era, what about you? So, uh, fun fact about Era getting a little on the personal side. Mm-hmm. I am in recovery mm-hmm. and have been for what we're in uh we're still in april mm-hmm. so like five and a half years oh wow maybe? wow that's Mazel. awesome that's so sick yeah that's uh but rad. if i were still out i definitely like weed was one of my favorites so uh, i the- would have i participated i feel like enough just by watching this movie oh for sure i mean yeah. like this movie is just like it's a way for you to just enter the mind of nonsensical stupor. Yeah, I don't know. I uh, I have a lot of thoughts on this. I don't. I don't want to go first in terms of uh, initial impressions. So someone else wants to well, take the lead. I, I mean, for me, I have a long. I don't know, like, what your history is with this era, but like this movie, I have a long history with this with Eraserhead. Eraserhead is a same. Okay, groovy. I'm excited to hear your relationship with it. Because, like, Eraserhead was one of the first experimental films I had ever seen. And, yes, like, it was, it was introduced to me by somebody who's, unfortunately, we've lost touch. But they introduced it to me with a double feature of this and Blue Velvet when I was, like... Uh, oh, shit. Yeah, Fuck I was, yeah. like, 16 years old, I remember. And I remember getting shown this. At a, he's, he, they, they slept over. And they showed me these two movies and I had no like I had no idea that movies could be made that looked like this and happened like yeah. this. And I was just like it was so intriguing and like I had no clue what it meant, but it was the 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 ambiguity of it just intrigued me so much more. And so I've revisited this film a lot of times throughout my life. I remember a uh, another notable moment with this film was my freshman year of film school. And it was a required screening for oh, the yeah. students to watch this film. And so all the freshman students, it's like one month into film school. And all these 18-year-old, like basically high schooler kids from like the conservative South go to see Eraserhead. And I remember like 30 to 40% of the theater like walking out and leaving like within 30 minutes of it. They couldn't handle it. And, I was, like, and I was just like, y'all are wusses. Like this shit... It's rad. Straight up, I feel like you're in the wrong program if your reaction to something yeah. like a racer head is to just you know maybe. Well, that was unfortunately, that. Um, unfortunately, that was my first college I went to, and I 
won't name the colleges, but that, that college was very much gearing people to not make films like Eraserhead. It was kind of shown almost like ironically in a way to like show you how almost like not what make. not to yeah do. exactly like how i remember like my directing professor the the week after the film the class after the film was like so what did you think of that and then everyone's kind of no, 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 no. i loved it but like he was like you see now here we teach you there are two ways to make a movie it's either making a movie for the movie theater in your head or the movie theater out in the real real world David Lynch makes movies for the movies inside his head. And that was a, and I'm like, Oh my God, how can you say that when you're screening it here? You're screening it on a movie theater right here and teaching about this movie. Yeah. Exactly. Dumbass. Like hypocritical piece of shit. But I, I mean, I love this movie. Every time I watch it, I get something different from it. It's a movie that always changes the meaning. I think it's a very provocative film and very much ahead of its time. So, I mean, I can get, deeper into it as we go along but like i mean i just yeah that's my initial thoughts t-o-a-t-h-o-t-s on that thoughts and prayers thoughts and prayers era you selected this film to henry let's let's get your let's get the hot takes going (laughs) so so my history is very much it's a little similar to astros in that it it's been something I keep coming back to and revisiting after a while and has been a part of my life uh, for a while now. And uh, I, I don't know if I've, I think I've mentioned this maybe during our first episode, maybe not, but um, my sister is a filmmaker and she focuses specifically on stop motion animation. Mm-hmm. And, um, when she was in college, uh, like I think her freshman year was, I might've been in a fifth grade. And so I think during the latter half of, of when she was in college, maybe like a junior, I, th- I for some reason I, I get strong. Like I was in seventh grade when I first encountered mm. this movie. Mm. Um, and so she had a copy of it um and interestingly enough she also had a copy of uh blue velvet too um damn so that's like seriously like that was like the same as mine blue velvet and racerhead were my two but i didn't watch them Uh, it wasn't a double feature for me like i would you watch first this was first oh my god yes And, and so uh so yeah i must have been around 12 years old give or take seventh grade um and i just like just looking at the dvd cover while i was just like this like there's just something about um jack nance's like i mean first off his hair but i remember thinking like at 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 that age it was very much more literal like erase like is the guy's head like an eraser yeah that's what like they made his hair that way so i'm like i want to know about this guy like to me he is a race like i refer to him a lot as just like the eraser eraser um and so so yeah so uh i remember watching it by myself and um fall like a meet like immediately blown away this was yeah. a very transformative um, experience. I think just like a, a like in my life, B for movies, um, C what like art can be. Um, it definitely yeah, tra- like transformed my life like forever in many many ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and just like from the get go like totally awestruck um absolutely love this movie and it to me this is like um i i have a letterboxd account this is like top four uh yeah this is like one of my all-time favorite movies ever i think it's one of the greatest movies ever made um i i remember like 
the first time I ever had heard about a racer head was through um Stanley Kubrick when I heard that he had played a racer head for like the casting crew of yeah. the Shining and being like, I wanna capture this vibe. And I just remember being like, Oh, if Stanley Kubrick is deferring to this film, like this has gotta be some heavy ass shit. Yeah. I think like, Yeah. I think so. Uh, oh, go ahead. Oh, so just real quick to add. So, like, yeah. So uh, oh, I didn't know. Had, more. I'm so sorry. No, 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 no. You're totally. It, this is just like this is kind of like the postscript. Like, yeah, so yeah. the benefits of having older siblings uh, in film programs. Uh, you know, like I don't even want to think about what life or what movie going experience would be like for me had I not encountered this when I did. Like. That to me is just not an option. Oh yeah, for sure. I love that. It's a very, uh, it's a very nice, some very nice love letters to David Lynch. Uh, and I have uh, some sort of, I have like slightly more complicated feelings about this film. Mm. I, I love it. <clears throat> In the context of what we do on this podcast, I uh, much to much similar, similarly to what Astro was saying earlier, like watching this film every time I get something new. And I definitely got something new from like looking at this from a critical theory, left-leaning angle, which um, obviously those themes are there, but I never looked at it explicitly from that viewpoint. We'll get yeah. into that more specifically later on. But as it relates to uh, like my relationship to this film, I also um, I feel like we all have had uh, some sort of like external third-party uh, Vision Quest guide mm. who who is who introduced no nobody finds a racer head on their own it's no a, yeah. it is no. introduced to you yeah. by you someone might hear else. about it but yeah like on your own but you don't have it presented to you by your own you don't stumble upon it yeah and so I definitely owe a tremendous debt of gratitude to my very good friend from high school and today uh, Stephen Lero who is uh, also a director and a filmmaker very talented and very much uh, influenced by David Lynch, if you look at his work, for showing me this when I think we were 16 years old. Um, it was just kind of a, a, ha- a habit at that time in my life where I, um, unlike my contemporary uh, vices, I was just very much like a singular, singularly focused on smoking weed and watching movies with my homies. It's a great uh, lifestyle. Yeah, did that like... Every for me. That's yeah. the life. I feel like. Yeah, no, it was great. Like, did that every Friday and Saturday from like when I was sixteen until when I left for college. Like until that was, yesterday. Like, yeah. yeah, until yeah, until yesterday, <laughs> where I quit weed for good. Yes, uh, right. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I remember Steve is definitely, uh, definitely like an eccentric fellow in a good way. I'm sure he'll, he listens to this podcast, so I don't know how he'll react. Hey, what's to me. up, Steve? Hey, what's up, Steve? Thanks for tuning in. Steve, uh, hi. Uh, oh, that was in sync. Steve, uh, yeah, showing me this film when I was 16 definitely was one of the in my my first experiences with uh, experimental filmmaking. Uh, similar to what Era said, maybe reconsider what the medium could do. Um, it is in yeah in my. I honestly think, like, for a very long time, it ranked within my top five films. I'd say these days, maybe it's, like, within the top 20. Um, But when I first saw it, I was, like, just fucking obsessed with it. And I still am obsessed with it because there's so much to obsess over in this film. It provides so many different avenues for entry, like, for, like, just different details, meticulous frames, shots, whatever, uh, that give the viewer... Uh, their own sort of entryway into criticism or analysis. Um, so, yeah, I guess that kind of sums up my my relationship to this film. Thanks, David Lynch. It was also the first film that I saw that by that David Lynch made. As well. I feel like this is like a. I feel like it's a sacred film in a way where it's like I feel like people. It's a film that's like. I would say it's probably the most well-known experimental film, like like narrative film ever made. Mm-hmm. And I think it's kind of like, you know, it's kind of like the gatekeeping a little bit. It's like if you can make it past this, then there's a whole world of cinema open up to you. Yeah. But it's like if you can't make it past this film, then like you're going to have a tough time going down that road. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Because it's like people 
have such nobody has a moderate reaction to this film. It either enthralls you or it like repulses you. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's a very that's what I'm saying. It's like a very much like you know, past year, some weird shit. Mm. Try it at your own pace. Yeah, I definitely. Um, I watched this a year ago, or like at the beginning of War, and this is like the second time I guess within the span of uh, all this hoo ha, this historical hoo-ha. people we've been living through <laughs> uh, that I've that I've watched this film, and um, I definitely have thoughts. Um, I think maybe a good starting point, unless someone else has a point that they want to start on specifically, but I was really, uh, obviously, setting is, uh, I would say, just as much a character, I think, in this film oh, as, yeah. as the characters oh, themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, oh. And obviously is the most uh, obvious entry point for looking at any sort of political economic analysis that you're going to get of what Lynch is saying with this film. I think that, in a wider sense, we'll open it up. You know, I read about how <clears throat> Lynch dire- was dire- uh, sort of drawing from his experiences uh, living in Philadelphia, um, raising a child, and being in like a young family. Uh, he had ra- he had raised a child yeah. before this movie already. He w- he was uh, he had a holy shit. Yeah, his his daughter. I'd feel weird about if I was that kid. Like I'd be like, damn, dad, this is what you're going through. <laughs> yeah, his daughter had been born. I think. Either slightly, yeah, slightly before the the inception mm-hmm. of Eraserhead, and That's she was born. She was born with um, a minor um, <clears throat> uh, defect. Seems like not the best word to use, but um, some sort of genetic condition that affected the um, her feet. Is is what interesting? I heard. Uh, yeah, and so obviously we see, you know, in a in a like off top we see like fears of fatherhood uh yeah. metabolizing in in this film i mm. do but i think moreover i was just you know it's thinking about how much of a solitary film this is despite you know oh yeah yeah well i think for me i think the this film is a very um absurdist film in a way where it's like the world it's it's a man realizing that his world doesn't make any sense Mm -hmm. and that nothing around him makes sense. And it's like, I guess like the way I see this film is it's like, um, it's very much like it's an analysis of the mundane. It's an analysis of like the working class Americans daily life and meaning of life and like how people get trapped into these ideas, like into these, into these situations and get, live in a world that means nothing to them and they just are kind of Henry is kind of somebody who through the birth of a child is realizing how absurd his life is right yeah that all of our sort of relationships uh I would say like you know the 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 family as a prison for lack of a better term uh Mm. like the the obligations that we uh that we have to one another I think you know not j- just like from a social level, but also like one that's born from like an economic need. Uh, well, yeah, create creates like you said, like you know, nothing in this film at face value. Like if you and if you give a very basic anal- analysis of this film, it's like uh, a man and a woman have a child mm. and realize that you know, <laughs> parenthood is uh, not all it's cracked up to be. Mm-hmm. That makes it sound like it's a slapstick comedy. But uh, I, mean, I mean, this movie is very funny. Also, yes. the more the older I get, oh my god, the older I get, funny. the funnier it gets. Oh, fucking hilarious. Like, I guess what I see it as is like, um, I see like the fatherhood as like as a part of this grander picture of absurdity where it's like fatherhood is kind of this dramatic event that snaps Henry into this realization. But it's like, it's not just about that. It's about how, uh, how loveless the relationship is with his girlfriend. Like how there's like literally no emotion or chemistry or fondness between the two of them. It's almost like they're Mm. even before they find out, he finds out that she gave birth. Like their relationship is just very, uh, very just non-sexual, non, non-affectionate, very withdrawn from each other. It's like they're very much kind of latched on to each other for the sake of like, this is just what we're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. And like, I think throughout the whole film, it's just kind of like the um, 
the parents themselves are kind of like a demonstration of like what Henry and I forget I, I forget the girl's name, but what Mary. Henry, Mary. Mar- what he- what Henry and Mary would might become in the future, where it's just yeah. like this father figure who's just so emotionally detached in this glib world that has no no uh external connection to reality while the mother is just this neurotic like paranoid like lady that just has random seizures when people are cutting chickens and shit and it's well i so i guess real like uh connor was touching up a little bit on like david lynch's like kind of personal backstory there's like there's like so many uh, and i'm gonna have to like pick and choose too because like there's like a lot of just like backstory in general uh like the making of this move oh yeah oh yeah this had so much like money problem like this was literally it took like five six years to make this like this was david lynch's and the other um uh other um crew he had was like their film school and yeah uh, it was at afi it was just like afi yeah yeah and so um this movie um what intrigued me was that like this movie grew out of a previous project of his called garden back which is literally exactly what it sounds like a person with a garden on their back and and like and a film that was inspired no less than uh by a a painting that lynch had made himself uh like right which is like so fucking that's just like that's holy shit that's so cool mm. like it's cool but it's also like like i don't it seems like the on a line of innocence and pretentiousness Mm -hmm. i don't think i mean okay keep going but um well uh, also real quick i want to point out too that so i <clears throat> gonna for because podcasting is a audio uh medium uh you cannot see me push up and lift up my glasses oh yeah uh, i own the criterion collection version of this Ooh, film. That's the nice. professor is here the professor has <laughs> dropped in and so uh immediately what's so cool is um there's an option in the menu called calibration and david lynch like this movie obviously in part because it's black and white but then also just like i feel like in general like david lynch is like going forward this is going to help you tremendously he fucking helps calibrate your tv yeah which is well, so I've, cool. I've seen like he will write instructions for projectionists on how to like properly project his films and shit because he, he'll like yeah. do shit with aspect ratios and shit like that that projectionists will think is like a mistake and they'll try to adjust and fix it and he's like yeah. no it's not a mistake like leave it as is yeah which is pretty exactly. he's pretty he's pretty he's pretty cool as fuck in that regard um and, if we could circle but, back oh sorry oh. airhead go ahead oh sorry well you feel free to just like if i start get go, like because i I have a lot to say, a lot to say, and obviously we're we're only going for like an hour. But um, I I completely agree with like what Astro you were saying about how like to me this movie is like a whole, like pretty much about the absurdity of life, but then also like the horrors of just like work. Yes, and then also like, uh, per, like j- the balance of like the horrors of work and the horrors of uh, home life, and um, like even the like this entire movie, which going back and looking at it from like a more solid like leftist perspective, like very clear, not just like in the making of this movie, but then also like in the actuality or like the literal movie itself, like 
you know, from the very beginning, like the moon or planet or whatever, like, uh, you know, we're, we see Henry's head and then it's the moon, but then also like the, like pretty much a visualization of insemination and the guy who's like pulling the levers, like Mm. to me, it, it, kind of is a visualization of marx's theory of alienation yeah that yeah well i think yeah 100 percent uh where i approach this film i think um you know if we're gonna jump around a little bit in this film the ultimate like when we we arrive at the namesake of the film uh eraser head wherein henry loses his head um it's carried by a child to uh some sort of production plant where they use a core from his brain <laughs> in order to produce erasers for pencils is yeah t- to me like i mean you don't you really don't have to like do any sort of mental gymnastics to see that this sort of reduction of the individual to their productivity their their production you know i i, I know it's the candy you, man right here yes it's, uh, it's the candy man from really wonka it's becoming their yeah. job <laughs> and i was th- i was thinking about that statement in the context of uh like it's the only it's the only time anyone in this film is actually fucking useful <laughs> like oh, every yeah. everyone every, everyone <laughs> yeah. else in this film it's is, okay is, is walking around dragging their knuckles awkwardly interacting with the nuclear family uh, and this is this is the first time that anything actually gets done in the film. Yeah, right. Is, is where is when the main character is yeah. uh, is pr- provides some sort of product, some some utility uh, for society at large. I love um, the counter guy. Yes. When, he, when that kid runs in, he's pressing the button like over and over again. I my think- yeah, my note is literally for that like scenario, like that whole sequence, like. Of course, the boss is an asshole. Yes. Because what? Like what? What fucking else? Of course. Um, I don't know where I when I would fit this in anywhere in our conversation where it would make sense. But yeah, just go. Yeah, just go. Uh, Henry, uh, his apartment looks like every Bushwick dude's. I I've just come. Oh yeah, I mean, you know. David Lynch invented a nuke type of guy with that movie. <laughs> new, <laughs> you know, new wife guy just dropped. I know, new new guy just dropped with a racer head. Yeah, you know, if you're if you're if your man has uh, has unpotted plants in his room and the radiator with the music theater in it, they might be an eraser head guy. Just telling you. <laughs> yeah, he does have a bed well, frame at least. He so. does have a bed frame. It does. It, there are some issues with it though. It does yeah. leak from time to time. That's true. And sink into a cesspool. The thing with the unpotted plants, what I love, part of like my favorite thing about this movie is just like everyone brings their own stuff to it. Like I fucking love how David Lynch has literally been like so tight-lipped about this. Yeah. Like oh, forever, yeah. consistently. I don't think he'll ever like talk about it. No, he never no. will. No. He never will. And I hope he doesn't, but the thing with the unpotted plants and, like, all that stuff, like, to me, like, almost everything that's, like, shown and included in this movie is, like, not just, like, a critique on the absurdity of life, but also just, like, how people live. And so it's, like, the oddity of people having, like plants in their house well yeah it's like it's meant to be fucking outside well it's like so, oh sorry what so I, I was pretty much done go ahead well like it's the it's how he doesn't care he's realizing that nothing means anything behind him you know it's like he's got these plants and decorations in his apartment and like he, it's this realization he doesn't give a shit about any of them. It's just like he has a plant there because, oh, uh, you know, people have plants in their apartments, so I'm just going to rip this root out of the ground and put it in here. <laughs> or, like, you notice, like, the uh, the cuckoo clock in the uh, in the the parents' apartment is literally, like, if you've ever seen a cuckoo clock before, they're very ornate and, like, decorative and shit like that. And the cuckoo clock in this movie literally looks like a fire alarm, and it's yeah. just like a box that a bird comes out of. It's just <laughs> yeah. like... The decorations are just so soulless, and it's a reflection of like all these things like that we trolling. use. 
Well, yeah. Well, it's this idea that like none of this shit is actually means anything to these people, yeah. and that these people really aren't living for anything. They just put on generic ass fucking Fats Waller records from like fifty years ago, and they have no connection to anything going on right now. They just kind of live their lives in a monotonous daze from day to day, like a machinery. So I was thinking about the because because I wrote like a lot of notes about setting for this mm. film in terms of like. Uh, set design and what they were doing. Um, for me, this sort of juxtaposition of, like, I would say, sort of, kind of quasi Art Deco, generally post up, generally post war aesthetic, um, with uh, a whole lot of natural decay or just nature elements, be it like you know unpotted plants, dirt uh, seeping out of the radiator. Um, in a gen- I kind of go in two directions here. One, I think that essentially, you know, Lynch is presenting us with all the creature comforts that emerged from the post-war era. And I would say like sort of, you know, uh, in America specifically, like kind of the post-industrial era mm-hmm. as uh, as providing a degree of comfort to us. Um, yet there there's wholly so much discomfort present alongside it. I think the juxtaposition of both the natural and the man-made is supposed to uh in, in intentionally you know it brings to it brings forth the subconscious thought that like you know everything appears to be as it should be but as we were discussing er- earlier when you break when you boil down facets of contemporary living to their base components it doesn't make any fucking sense life itself is absurd mm. um and those elements are brought forward to the f- to the, you know this, the front of the frame you know it's like that's it it yeah. it is just a very clear visual representation that this this makes just as much sense as it would were everything in its right place well yeah i mean i think like if you looked at this film and you were tr- and you wanted to stage literally what was happening in a literalist point of view like no experimental mm-hmm. this would just look like a middle-aged dat smoking a cigarette over a plate of eggs staring at the wall <laughs> as like their yeah. child like is crying and they don't know what to do and their wife is just sitting in the corner taking valiums and shit and he's just like what yeah. is going on with my life that's what this film is is that yeah. moment right there yeah it's the man who just like the union fucking dock worker or something comes home to this and just like what the fuck is going on like this is what you're this is what it's supposed to all be for and exactly. what it's all for in the end is nothing. nothing i mean yeah, nothing this this yeah. movie wouldn't exist if henry was wealthy if henry if henry had aspirate it had the ability to have aspirations and shit like that then this wouldn't be their life. And the reason why they don't have aspirations is because they were never taught to have aspirations. Right. Because working class people are not told to aspire to anything higher than what they already do. Working class people live this mechanical existence that's just like almost like non-sentience in a way. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, like as much as this movie, and I feel like this is what you were just touching on, Astro, is like as much as this is equally about just the absurdity of life in general this is equally about the absurdity uh and the like surrealism of capitalism itself yes and just like how ridiculous it is and like how much it just fucking doesn't make any sense because it's uh to me not just a movie about like yeah like a guy smoking a cigarette, staring, daydreaming at his, uh, staring at a wall, daydreaming while his wife's taking volumes and the baby's crying. Like, um, this is like a movie about how, like, it's the capitalists' a goal to give their the prolet like how the bourgeois gives the proletariat just enough barely enough to survive but then also on top of that procreate Mm. to keep making workers exactly i mean and then you get like this month this monstrosity of a child yeah i think i was i was about to say i think we're i think we're about ready to talk about the baby the the eraser head baby yeah fuck yeah the scariest best puppet i've ever seen in a film like that the mystery of what that puppet is and how it was like operated i hope is never revealed because it's just so 
it's so incredible and scary and surreal. It like it really feels like a living thing. Yes, it's I, it's crazy. What were you saying? If I could just read real quick a oh, yeah. quote um, from a p- small piece of like Lynch on Lynch, which mm. was included. For those of you who don't know, just real real quick. Uh, a lot of times, Criterion Collections with select movies will include essays and stuff. Oh, you got oh, so they have the Lynch on Lynch essays in this. So they have like a Lynch on Lynch on like the entirety of like making of okay. uh, Eraserhead or whatever. And so the interviewer, uh, I forget his name. I think it's like Carl or Cal or something. Uh, asked him about the baby. Um, so he's like, just to return to the baby for a moment. Is the point not to talk about it or what? And David Lynch is like, just not to do anything. Mm. And that's it. Mm. Like, that's it. So, Mm. this baby, I love it so much. Oh, Uh, my God. It's fucking Oscar award. One one thing I'll say real quick is uh, Eraserhead by itself, horrific film. You know what would be even more horrific is uh, if Eraserhead were in color. I think I think it would be uh, much much be, worse. It would be ugh, solely because of like the the substances that ooze out of that baby. I would mm-hmm. not want to see the myriad of colors. At the same time, though, the black and white leaves a lot to my imagination of what those substances are. Yes, and so like that alone is just freaky enough. Like the the worst shit. The grossest shit is like when that foam ass shit just starts flying out of it. Like it just looks like. Like 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 um bay scum. Oh, like it's so just good. the grossest shit ever. Yeah. Oh so, my god. That baby though. Um I think it uh props up a, a good case for uh for pro choice people right there. That baby, oh my god. It's like a Jersey <laughs> devil right there. I, I imagine that that's what the baby in Rosemary's baby looks like. <laughs> That's what I imagine that it looks like. Have you ever seen? Have you ever seen Rosemary's <laughs> yeah, Baby? Yeah. Okay. I, no, I have not. Uh, you know, uh, it's, it's fuck Roman Polanski, but that ending is. That's pretty, why. Yeah, yeah, fuck Roman Polanski, but that the, you don't see the baby in the movie, and that's that's what I imagine it to look like. <laughs> I just, makes sense. So, obviously, I feel like the baby is an extension of what we were talking about earlier, uh, as it relates to I think just the horrors of, uh, just being forced into parenthood, forced to, you know, just forced to work, forced to provide um, the, you know, the social interactions that w- that we find ourselves falling into, you know, whether by choice or perhaps not necessarily by choice with one another and our obligations to one another within, you know, a society where there, where scarcity exists. I think for me, when I was watching it, when I was watching Eraserhead this time around, I couldn't help but think about uh the baby in the context of what lynch is saying about industrialization and about environmental violence um, yes that's what do you mean by that so i think the impl- <sighs> and i'm reaching a lot here i am i know that i'm reaching a lot when i say this out loud but i feel like before we are introduced to the, the baby uh the bebe uh, Mary, uh, the dur- bay during this thir- during this lovely dinner party uh, between Henry and Mary and, and Mary's <laughs> folks. Oh, I um, love it. Mary's father uh, specifically talks about how uh, the part of town that they're in used to be pastures before the uh, the factories turned it into a hellscape. That's the quote from the film. Um, and I feel like that precursor, alongside like you know the. What is yeah? What is essentially the eighth circle of hell? Wind and rain and and cold water and what have you. Uh, constant the constant hiss of the radiator and the constant howl of the wind outside. Um, you know I don't think there's a direct implication that this child is uh, is being brought into this world with with uh, you know a myriad of uh, of health uh, problems as a consequence of the environment. But I do yeah. feel like that is essentially what's for me, for some reason, and era, you seem to be in, in agreement with me to some degree. Uh, it, it it seems to me like that is what is being inferred that this is the like it's, the en- the end result of industrialization. It's not just you know it's 
not just the breakdown of the family um, and the breakdown of our environment and our communities, but it is the breakdown of our literal fucking bodies. It's um, it's from yeah. eating those um, those pussy turkeys. Yes, that's what it does. Well, they're the size of your fist. Anyway, era. I got a lot to say, uh, but yes, I'm completely on board with what you're saying, uh, Connor. Um, that to add on to that as well, it's just like again, um on top of all that how again with the class analysis though but just like you know we're seen also as animals like we're literally just like human cattle to yeah. and our only function is mm -hmm. like just to work and procreate and um you know the continuing yeah like going back to what the dad was saying like beautiful pastures and then now we're in a hellscape and it's like the increasing industrialization the, it's clear the city is in decay um there's no at, at least what the world we're presented or the perspective we're presented there's no public transportation um and and yeah like all the like literally the, you look out the window and it's a fucking brick wall mm -hmm. like there's and um not only uh the environmental impact and and effects uh on uh just like the health of and growth of a baby um but um even with like food too like that that whole dinner sequence first off hilarious amazing like chef's literally a chef's kiss mm. Uh, mm. but also like um to me that was like a critique on the increasing like um chemicals and and processed food we consume like the like burger. our food is lacking in nutrients <laughs> like it, it's not like really sustainable but then also at the same time coming at it from like uh i wouldn't necessarily say an animal rights perspective but like just like a vegetarian-esque kind of per like what the idea that what we're consuming used to like be a living thing Circling back to the baby real quick. I think what I see a lot of in that baby and the relationship that it has between Henry and Mary is like how um, a major, and this is, this is going to be a very harsh um, statement, but I, I believe, I, I believe this, this is the a shit posting part now. Well, this is not a shit post. This is a bleak truth that I think the majority of people who have children shouldn't have children. Mm. and i think oh totally and i think most and i think that this film demonstrates that where so many people especially working class people end up either having a child by accident because that's also like something very like you know people getting trapped into marriages out of obligation because of their economic conditions and stuff like yeah. that but like either that or just like poor education on you know contraception yada 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 and People, especially working class people, end up with these children that they all they view the all they can view them as is a burden, because as blunt as it is, is that it is financially, emotionally, economically, it's a burden, and it's like a and it's as much as you want to love it and appreciate it. I feel like that this film is about the struggle to like see like this thing as like in your life that you you're taking care of because you're like well like guess this is my kid you know like henry doesn't even like recognize it yeah. as his kid it's just like i guess this came out of mary and like this is like you know my thing and how like mary doesn't want to take care of it she leaves and goes back to her parents place because she can't stand the crying and like when she comes back who knows and and i think at the, the point it gets to that point where um henry makes the decision of like to destroy it because of what it what it represents to them and stuff and obviously um 
that's not something that most fathers do in the real world. Sometimes it does happen, unfortunately. But I think it's a much more symbolic, like, inflicting of that trauma upon your child from future because of your own inability to deal with it because this kid was not something that was supposed to even happen. Yeah. And you take yeah. you take care about it more out of a place of obligation as opposed to a place of love. So I, I have two questions that I want to float by everyone. Mm-hmm. And, and Astro, I was thinking about this a lot. Um just as as you were as you were speaking. Um the first one is and I honestly like thought thought this myself when I was watching it was whether or not this is like a, a wholly antinatalist film. Uh I don't think that's the case. I don't think it's. Um, I don't think the the plot of the film or the theme of it is not like you shouldn't have children. Yeah. I believe it's more of like. This is not like, when you, have a child, it's because it should not be because out of this obligation. It should not be done out of this obligation. And fatherhood should not be, or parenthood should not be this thing that's viewed as a thing of obligation over being an act of love and a relationship of love. Right. And, you know, I guess there is the implication that, you know, that these, <laughs> these problems with, uh, with a uh, gross rabbit fetus, sorry, lamb fetus baby, allegedly, allegedly, um, we uh, don't know for yeah, sure. We don't know for sure. Uh, are born just as much from, uh, the, this child's ill health as much as they are from, uh, the economic conditions under which they're they're tending to it. So perhaps to call it antinatalist, uh, you know, I was just throwing it out there. But uh, I think people think that the statement that most people shouldn't have children is antinatalist, where it's just like, no, I think people should be able to have children, but it's like I think that not most people shouldn't, though. You know, it's just like I feel like at least like in this film demonstrates that many people have children, especially in working class communities of a sense of obligation of like, Mm -hmm. this is what you do. This This is is what what you you do. do. Yeah. Yeah. And on to them, they try, you can create meaning around it and yada, yada, yada. But at the end of the day, you're just creating another thing to to function in this cog of a machine and you're just reproducing and creating more workers. Yeah. Yeah. I don't see this, uh, as antinatalist at all i literally think it's like a depiction of what today we've for the last several years have been calling like a quarter life crisis and literally like how life-changing uh parenthood and marriage is and that literally like you know finding out you're gonna be a parent and then fucking just like raising a kid out of nowhere is like earth shattering and like the just the anxieties and fears of becoming a parent getting married and i think more to me the um quote-unquote alien baby is to me um like i i feel like i have a little a more literal interpretation of it is just being like children are fucking animals i mean like, truth. children are truth. literally fucking animals i do like, and they're well, foreign well yeah in like so that's, many ways i i i don't think the i think the eraser head baby if it would grow its full life would end up looking like henry as it grew up like i don't yeah. think i think that like I mean, it is clearly an oddity in this world because like we don't even know if it's a baby or some shit like that. But it's like clearly like not enough of an oddity for them to just send this baby home with these people and stuff and be like, well, that's it, you know. Yeah. It's like yeah. the same as like yeah. you know, like I was born with a with a with a heart defect, and it's just them be like, well, you know, that's gonna give you trouble later on, but here you go. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's just like no, like we should study this. What the fuck is this thing? <laughs> Like, well, it definitely came out of you. So. Yeah, well, you know, it's your responsibility it's, now. It's Here's yours. I'm sorry. $20,000 medical bill. Here you go. Yeah. Here you I, go, Mary. I, uh, just circling back to what we were talking about at the beginning of this, how does David Lynch's daughter just, like, watch this and be like, all oh, right, was, 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 it, was it that fucking bad? That's was it really exactly. That bad? Come on, Dad. Was it really that bad? He's like... Honey, you don't understand how bad your crying was. Mm. I couldn't sleep Honey. for three months. 
That's why I took up TM, so I didn't stab I you with a pair of scissors. Up all night <laughs> in your crib with your, mo- with your mother, it was unbearable. Oh my god! Like I, my ears <laughs> were bleeding. My ears were bleeding. It was irreparable. I started smoking cigarettes because of you. I will. <laughs> I will say. I. Uh, uh, I like. I feel. I feel good about the conclusions that we reached during this hour because um i wrote this down in my notes i think the first time i watched this i thought this was wholly an anarcho primitivist film uh uh which which i know yeah i yeah maybe who's to say i don't think we have enough time to get into that because we're rounding the end of the hour right now um so uh, i don't think the film has any particular political stance yeah i think it's a pretty um i think it's a film that shows more than like as most lynch films are it's very like you can interpret this how you want to interpret it like i feel like you can interpret it from you know a libertarian lens or a anarchist lens or an anarchist primitivist or a tanky lens or a whatever it's like it's a very ambiguous film that displays a lot of things and it's like you know you take what you want to interpret from it it doesn't really tell you how to interpret this film right especially the ending yeah i think that like you can you know you can pinpoint so many different boogeyman antagonists in this film, if you will, like ultimate antagonists, like, you know, whether it's industrialization or if it's, you know, manufactured scarcity. Uh, and I, I agree with it's that. the lever puller. Yeah. <laughs> the real, the real big bad, the real big daddy. Uh, yeah. But uh, Astra, I agree with that, that, you know, uh, obviously I think we all looked at this as uh, individuals who have all had jobs, uh, and you're like, you're like, unfortunately, we're like that. Hell, hell yeah, hell yeah, brother, hell yeah, Henry. I, I know, I know what you're going through, dude. Dude, yeah. like, my bike, the bike shop that I work at, used to be located in like Masspath and like the industrial district, and like every day, just like f- six blocks in every direction is just like wasteland. Yeah, and just every time I walk home, I'm like, I'm in a racer head right now I that is die. that is a neighborhood i've not spent a whole lot of time in i think like one time i walked through maspeth and i was just like uh, <laughs> where'd, where'd, where'd all the jobs go yeah, what's going mm, on mm, mm, mm. you got a, a frito-lays factory and a western beef and that's about it mm, western beef. some gas stations uh era you got any final takeaways real quick i wanted to touch up on the character of mary um and just how I felt like um, there, to me, like, um, I don't know, looking back now, I don't know if I would call it necessarily, like, feminist, but um, just the way her character is portrayed and, like, her having, to me... Uh, and anyone is more than happy to correct me. Uh, I felt like her character maintained uh, autonomy throughout, and I, just like even even though there's like a little like argument between her before she uh, gets gets up and and leaves, um, like it's just kind of like okay, well. That's your life. I mean, yeah. I, I don't really see her role as like a, a feminist role or anything because it's kind of like, right. oh, these broads, you know, like walking out. But it's like, I don't think right. this film views anybody positively. Like, like no. Henry is not viewed as this macho, you know, like uh, these chicks, right? Like Henry's pathetic. He's a pathetic little squirt who ends up stabbing a baby. You know, it's like this is not someone yeah. to... That I am that I want to be as the the model of masculinity here either, and like same thing with well, the, no, right with the parents, where like the the father is just a submissive buffoon, and the mother is just like a a neurotic like I don't even know, and the grandma is like basically dead. Just everyone in this movie is just like empty. Yeah, the first the, <laughs> yeah the first action that Henry makes on his own volition is killing his fucking kid. I know. Which, he just can tell you a lot. Like you know, it's the only thing, only time he takes agency in his life is when he stabs his child. Like, Folks, David Lynch is not sending his best. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, I think that's all I got. Yeah, for this I, one, I, I, there's I, so I, much to say on it. Without like, yeah, we, we'll do a. It, once we do a part two, we'll do a part two when we're rich and famous. And people are like, "Well, we got to hear the rest of the thoughts on this. We got to hear yeah. the book." <laughs> but um, 
I do. I, I instead of the uh, joke titles or whatever that we've come up for next week, I, 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 I actually I have a film picked out for next week. We and we also have um, our first uh, first guest lined up too. Very exciting. <gasps> Um, Fuck yeah. So the film that uh, I want us to watch is uh, the film that recently came out, uh, Judas and the Black Messiah. I know yeah. um, maybe you've seen Hell I mean, yeah. I haven't seen it yet. I know maybe you, one of you guys have seen it, but I want to rewatch yeah. it. And I want to bring on um, my friend Malik on the show. He's a very good friend of mine, a very passionate actor and artist, and somebody very, who's very, uh, very smart and intelligent when speaking on the issues of how race is depicted in film as an actor. And he, I talked to him. He's very excited to come on and talk about it. But I think Thanks. it'll be a very interesting film to talk Fuck about. Yeah. Well, can't, cannot wait for that. Thanks for tuning in for another episode of Ghost Kino. Follow us on Instagram. Uh, Revolution in our lifetimes. Y- yada yada. You know the deal. Yeah. If we if we hit a um, hundred followers, I'll post heat pics. Yeah. <laughs> tell your tell your friends my we're, uncut nails. We're, we're redistributing the feet we're redistributing pics. the 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 feet pics. All right, <laughs> all right, let's stop. <laughs>